everyone, and welcome to the Non-Accident Novel Review, episode 15. I'm author Matthew Glasgow. In this chapter, we see Connor Dempsey finally start to settle down. We jump in time to where Connor is now 26. He's at least partially living his dreams, living with his friends and working in the medical field. He also has a great woman, Jenna. It is a new relationship, but she is clearly a good person for him. The intention is to illustrate maturity in a sense for Connor. His vague notions of having fun all the time and becoming rich, successful, and famous somehow have somewhat dissipated. Yet he appears content with his life, and specifically in this moment, watching the Eagles, drinking beers with his girl and boys. Thinking ahead, there is blatant foreshadowing with Connor's nagging cough. Although he dismisses it, it is clearly serious without spoiling future chapters too much. After much history and world building, we are beginning to arrive at my initial inspiration for the novel. For now, I'll leave it at that. Inspiration. I think in a novel like this, where there has been attention devoted to this weighty theme of achieving a successful, notable life, it is important to highlight the very subtle moments of achievement where we feel truly happy and blessed. In real life, I think, at least for me, it can be difficult for to truly uh, take in the scope of the wonderful things around you. I'm always in the past or future and rarely fully immersed in the present. However, that that is the wonder of writing and storytelling. We get to capture such moments and present why they matter to our characters. Moving from the last chapter, where there were extremes of party and sexual conquest, uh, I thought it was necessary to transition to the much more tame version of such topics. Binge drinking while in full Irish regalia in the early hours of the day and then quickly hooking up with a stranger at a bar is transformed to a Sunday watching football with only three other friends and Connor's girlfriend. Hopefully the change in Connor is apparent, at least the change that comes with getting older. Craft and Structure Although ultimately this is meant to be a happy chapter, I often can't help myself and must include some challenges to continue to make it a narrative. I included the bittersweet moment of Connor finally leaving home, his father still hobbled, if not worse from back injuries, his brother older and in college, and his mother not fully approving of the move, but still caring enough to fuss over everyone helping fill the U-Haul truck. Of the two brothers, I certainly focused more attention on John. Connor has this feeling of regret that he has never had a meaningful conversation with John, and fears he never will. Connor surmises uh, it is because John is locked in the cycle of perpetual work and aiming for perfection. It is a barrier Connor is not sure how to change. The more symbolic for Connor, I think John represents the person Connor could have been. Yes, John is industrious and will likely uh, be successful. He will achieve that dream of wealth and that Connor likely won't. Moreover, John is a better person, more morally centered, consistent, and smarter. However, there is still fault that Connor sees in such an existence, such incredible pressure he has put on himself that will never allow him the freedoms that we've seen Connor indulge in in previous chapters. However, the key person in this chapter is Jenna. It is likely the most 
endearing I have ever made a character. Essentially perfect, at least from Connor's point of view at the time. That is meant to be genuine, but her tremendous personality and her representation of Connor Dempsey's salvation will certainly play a role in the drastic change about to occur in Connor's life. Chapter 14. Dempsey coughed as he went into the fridge to get a beer. It was a wet, mucusy kind of cough that continued until it got raw and dry, and Dempsey felt momentarily like he could not breathe. He figured it must have either been the drop in temperature on this November day or something he caught at Crozier Hospital. No, he wasn't a nurse, but a nurse's aide at the hospital in Chester, PA. He did not fare all that well in college and was unable to be accepted into a city nursing program after completing his associates. So he dropped out for about two years, working odd jobs here and there until he was able to return to a job in health and almost simultaneously go back to school for public health. By now, of course, Burke and McNamara had graduated, but he still felt vindicated that he had finally made it to Temple's campus. Plus, he was now finally living on his own with Burke and McNamara in Mayfair, a block away from Frankfurt and Cotman, Harrington's pub a stone's throw away. Although he, it had been etched in his mind to move out of his parents' house since he graduated from Judge, it was still fairly hard to leave when the day finally came. His dad, still hobbling after his string of back injuries, insisted on helping him lift boxes and furniture into the U-Haul. And then, when his dad had to concede and admit the pain, sitting in a lawn chair, dictating to Connor and his brothers, the best way to stack everything to utilize every square inch of space. Kevin was unbelievably a junior at Bloomsburg University, and John a freshman at LaSalle. Kevin was a moderate partier up at school, but he maintained a strong GPA, and was on his way to a degree in education. John was in business and taking prerequisites for the time being, and had hopes of starting his own landscaping business. Connor and his brothers would work with their father for Mercer Lawn Care on occasion, mowing lawns and spraying pesticides on residential houses and business parks in the suburbs. It was always on the side for Connor and Kevin, but John took a real interest in the work. John figured since Mercer focused on the larger development, he could service the door-to-door -door row homes in Holmesburg. Always a pragmatist. A young man uncomfortable if he wasn't working or moving around in some capacity, even as he helped Connor to move. A smile never entered his face. No jokes or movement, moments of slack. If anything, he would be uneasy during the moments of reprieve, and he would revert to innocu innocuous talk about the Eagles or some other sports news. Connor, especially on the day he was finally leaving, wondered if that's all it would ever be. Would they ever really get a brother-to-brother -brother conversation? Would Kevin ever belt out some glimpse of his soul? He received it ad nauseum with John, but Kevin almost had almost a fear for conversation. To Connor, it was some deep fear of failure, or some immense reverence for the word that if he got out, or a few of them, they would be out there, and each word would be etched in everyone's mind for eternity. It was irrational and over-analytical, as everything was with Kevin, but in a way his lack of speaking actually made it somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy, for when he did converse, everyone certainly took notice. And with his want for perfection in his words, he would stutter or correct his words mid-sentence, and it would all be rhythmically jarring, and John would be embarrassed, and get back to work or wring his hands or take out his phone and act busy. Maybe Connor could have done something differently. 
Maybe he could have went for that meaningful conversation, no matter how awkward, until it finally came out. Well, it probably never will now, he thought as the last of the boxes were in the U-Haul, and he stepped into the vehicle. Connor looked at some old row home, and it suddenly felt like it was no longer his. No longer his house, but his parents' house. His mom and dad walked to the Ford F-150, and Kevin and John went into his Reliant K. His mom was against the idea of moving in with McNamara and Burke, as he had little to no money, and she thought they were bad influences on him at times. But as he knew she would, she softened. A moving day brought a tray of hoagies from Marinucci's and was running around with ice-cold bottles of water for everyone. Then, with the last box unloaded, he filled the U-Haul with a quarter tank of gas, returned it, and drove with McNamara and Burke, his boys, into his new home. Dempsey returned to the living room with a beer for himself and one for Jenna, a nurse from work at Crozier whom he had been dating for about a month, and sat down on the couch next to her. She was a thin, attractive blonde from Wilmington, who was, without hyperbole, some type of miracle of a human being. Other nurses would complain about patients as soon as they left the room, only to plaster on the fake smile again when the poor creature pressed the little red button, or it was time for some cafeteria mush or time to take vitals. However, Jenna never complained once, even when she had every right to. She would not even disparage other co-workers or administrators. She especially treated Dempsey and all other aides with genuine appreciation and kindness. He would be lucky to get eye contact or a thanks from most staff. Not only would she never complain, she would do absolutely anything to make a person's day, be it a kind remark, a joke, or just taking five minutes to listen to a coworker or patient unload their grief on her, and somehow not feel burdened or fatigued in the process. This relationship was young, certainly, but Dempsey had a flood of feelings which he hadn't experienced in some time. She listened attentively, looking into his eyes with this wonderment, her hazel, nearly green eyes glassy and shimmering like a freshly polished champagne flute, her mouth expressive with each word he spoke, little lines from her nostrils crusting and rippling out to her fine cheekbones, and the fantastic swell of white, which was her smile, nearly bright enough that he feared what would happen if he stared at, at it face on. Her tiny mannerisms and signs of caring, fussing over his comfort when he sat in her apartment to watch a movie, scampering to the kitchen to grab him a drink when she noticed his glass was empty, sliding him an extra pillow when she noticed him craning his neck slightly, even as he insisted he was fine, but nonetheless grateful for the gesture anyway. She was a nurse, sure, and some of it was just in her blood, but Dempsey believed that she was starting to develop some love for him. This would be a true test for her today withstanding a football Sunday at Dempsey, Burke, and McNamara's house. Burke would start drinking the moment he woke up, which was about 7 a.m., make his bets, and set his lineups, and then plop a seat on the lazy boy. He was now a steam fitter like his dad, and it was ingrained in him to wake up at the break of dawn, no matter how hungover he may have been. His hair was also now all gone, though his habit of smoking had not. If anything, it was steadily increasing to nearly two packs a day, which he smoked in the house. The cigarette smoke, compounded by McNamara, and if they had any other guests over, bothered Dempsey and made him cough and wheeze. But these were his boys, and they deserved the dream, realized of smoking on the lazy boy or a couch and not outside in the freezing cold, missing the game. Dempsey looked at Jenna frequently to see if the smoke bothered her, but she didn't whine in the slightest. If anything, Dempsey was the one to almost force him to cut back as it was becoming increasingly harder for him to breathe with the cough that he was fighting through. 
After a particularly noisy and painful coughing spell, Dempsey took a swig of beer and watched the game next to Jenna. As he coughed, she would gently place her hand on his back and gaze at him in concern. She was not a huge sports fan, but she seemed to tolerate the incessant statistic talk or player debates amongst the boys. Jenna did not sit there clearly utterly bored, but looked from speaker to speaker and the TV, eager to learn like the teacher's pet sitting in the front of the room, hands crossed on the desk and eyes glued to the teacher. She even laughed along when Burke made his own ridiculous, obscene comments, or did his little hip wiggle whenever the Eagles or one of his fantasy football players succeeded. She's truly great, Dempsey thought, and I need to be good if I want to keep her. He had lived in the revelry of being a bachelor, to put it mildly, but she was this pure-hearted spirit that he knew he couldn't lose. He had to suppress those hound dog tendencies. It was time, goddammit. One step at a time. Treat her right. Be faithful. Put her first. I'll still live with Burke and McNamara here, but maybe one day propose, get married, maybe have kids. He stopped the thought as best he could. He was getting ahead of himself. McNamara lit another cigarette, and Dempsey could only think about getting this irritation out of his lungs. It was bad. He knew health. He was aware of the symptoms, but he was 26 and he was young. And it was just some virus some patient passed along to him. Part of the job. Always being a little sick. Dempsey leaned back in his chair and took another swig of beer. This in front of him is what he had always wanted. It was foolish to think of the future, both positive and negative. And hey, if the Eagles win, everything is that much better. Thank you for listening and supporting our episodes. Please continue to follow on social media and check Amazon for reading options of Non-Accident and other novels. Till next time, Chapter 15.